A good evening, everybody. Thank you, Tarinema. This Tombo get it, Jane, Jovanda Jamas, Pisisha, your marriage. Net jailing at this jungle. Some jitty jingy. And that is So I'm going to open just with some very basic prayers of clearing away obstacles. Rimshe didn't say this, but just by way of context, the idea is that when people gather together to transform, a lot of times that draws in negative energy, so he's going to clear the space. And then he said, I'm going to open with some prayers of refuge and generating the extraordinary mind of bodhicitta, the altruistic mind. And then I know we're, we're quite short on time today. We have just a little bit of time to be together. But I would like, if there's time, to close with some uh, basic uh, description or a teaching on how to work with the deity Vajrasattva for purification purposes. Okay. <clears throat> Jalabala, then. 
So from the Tibetan Buddhist perspective, we have this extraordinary human rebirth that is free, has eight leisures or eight ways that it's free of difficult trying circumstances and ten ways in which it's endowed with very precious opportunities. And it's really important that we acknowledge how powerful this precious human rebirth is and that we don't waste our time in this precious life. So with taking stock of this and really bringing this to mind, we think, I'm going to really take the essence of this life. And I'm going to do that by practicing dharma in such a way that is pure and that doesn't overlook the preciousness of the opportunity at hand. And then with that thought, we think, okay, well, all of us are actually exactly the same in that we all want happiness and not a single one of us wants suffering. And this is true not just here amongst us, but for all beings down to the smallest bug. So bringing those two thoughts to bear, the preciousness of this human opportunity and the fact that we all want the exact same thing, we think, okay, I'm going to do this practice, not just for me alone, but for the sake of all beings, without exception. And I'm going to practice perfectly in such a way that I can actually lead each and every last being to a place of perfect liberation and full enlightenment. And when we do this, we're actually uh, observing the very important part of the practice, which is setting the intention at the beginning and closing with a, a powerful prayer of dedication. So even if we m- utter just one mantra, if we do it with this kind of motivation at the beginning and the dedication at the end, then it becomes you know, redoubtably more powerful. So with that in mind, that's the kind of motivation we want to generate now. And Ta 
And actually, to make our motivation or our intention completely pure, um, we need to ride this extraordinary mind of, of altruism, of bodhicitta, uh, on two other things, full renunciation and also pure view of reality as it is. And so there are many things we can aspire to for the future, thinking here the long term, our future lives. Ultimately, what we're aspiring to is enlightenment, you know, full-fledged enlightenment. Beneath that, at least liberation. And if not that, then at least a better rebirth, you know, full rebirth with this opportunity given to us once again. So to achieve those, we really need to yoke a renunciant's mind with the pure view, the, the, uh, the pure view of emptiness and the bodhicitta. And then if we do this, you know, whether we practice for one hour or two hours, our practice becomes very pure. And then at the end, it's so important to dedicate. And the reason for that is very simply that, sorry, it's very simply that it's perfectly natural for all of us to have moments of anger, of frustration, and so forth. In fact, we can say that there's not one person who doesn't have this arise in their consciousness. But if we indulge in it, then all the merit, all the positive momentum we create through practice is destroyed in an instant. So therefore, it's really important that we stabilize our practice by dedication, by doing dedication at the end. Tambo 
So Rumuchi is just explaining here that in order to really engage in perfect practice, which we just aspire to in setting our motivation, there are three components. We need to first hear the teachings, then we need to contemplate them and really see whether they fit with our own experience or not. And then we need to meditate and integrate them fully into our, our mind stream. And this is the only way. And then by doing that, we're, we get very clear about what kind of behavior we can adopt and cultivate and reinforce uh, to, to stabilize our Dharma practice and what kinds of things we have to let go of. And if we, if we just try to meditate without having first heard any Dharma, then that's a bit like trying to climb a mountain with, without hands to, to stabilize oneself along the way. And then in terms of the contemplation, that's such an important piece because it's when we, just hearing it alone and then walking away, obviously that's not going to, to imprint us or change our behavior or change our, our outlook and how we are. Um, and, and likewise, or if we just meditate without listening, then we don't really have the facility we need to grow and transform. So we need both that the first and the third, but we need the second one, contemplation, because it's through contemplation that we can differentiate uh, what is really true for us? So, when we when we take into when we actually engage in this listening, this contemplation, and this meditation, then we can genuinely take up the graduated path to full transformation and enlightenment. And we can contemplate with great integrity and authenticity these various topics of the preciousness of the human rebirth, uh, impermanence, the truth of karma, the law of cause and effect. Um, and step by step on, and so forth. So the the main point here is that it's very important to engage in both listening, in all three, listening, contemplation, and the integrative practice of meditation, and that so that we don't waste this incredible opportunity we have. And Rinpoche didn't say this, but it just bears mentioning that the Tibetan word for the third meditation is really familiarizing ourselves. So what we're doing is familiarizing ourselves with a new way of being, a new way of experiencing reality. Kowandele and 
So Rumiji explains here that we all have Buddha nature. We all have this bright light of this the inherent nature of mind which is pure and clear. And that through the practice of genuinely listening, genuinely contemplating and then meditating, we can definitely break through the obscurations that cover and obscure this inherent nature that we possess. And we can achieve complete freedom from all the cyclical stuff we're enmeshed in, complete uh, we can liberation from suffering, and achieve the full state of enlightenment. So this is why the, precious, the, the human form is so precious. You know, if we're out there in some god realm, some made of light, and drinking ambrosia and hanging out, we can't achieve this. They don't have that capacity. We alone as humans have this extraordinary capacity. Now the deal though is that we to, to actually make good on this deal, we have to come from the bot we have to work from the bottom of our heart. We can't uh we can't just be flimsy in our practice. We have to work with incredible determination. Um, but when we do that, we can definitely break through suffering. So we have many examples of this from t- Tibet and India and many other places. And some of these exemplars are saints like Milarepa or Jetsongkhapa and so forth. And these aren't just uh, you know people that are celebrated in hagiography. They're actual beings whose stories we have to follow. And these we have many instances of individuals who... Uh, when they passed away, they basically disappeared. They left nothing but their hair, their fingernails, and then they uh, manifested the rainbow body. So this may seem extraordinary, but actually we have the exact same infrastructure, mind-body infrastructure, as these beings. So whether we want to get enlightenment or not is not a function of whether we can, but whether we decide to do that. So it all depends on us. Uh So the essence of dharma is really two things. We could say it's the realization of the interdependence of all things and then a nonviolent stance, a stance that renounces all proclivity to negativity and the indulgence in all of that. 
Um, and when we actually uproot all of those proclivities, what we're left with, quite naturally, is compassion. And these two, when they're yoked together, lead to complete liberation. These two are the, the uh, method, which in this case refers to the stance of nonviolence, and the wisdom, which is seeing through the illusion that things are really there the way they appear to be, and seeing through to the selflessness of beings and things both alike. So when we unite this fundamental, this powerful compassion and loving kindness, and we grow it and grow it and grow it, and yoke that onto the right view, then together that's what leads to genuine transformation. <laughs> So the question then is, how do we really grow compassion and loving kindness? Well, 
we all have to deal with the troubles of life. We all have to deal with illness and insecurities and ups and downs and all kinds of of uh, things that happen to us in life that aren't necessarily necessarily very pleasant. But if we didn't experience them, there's no way we could genuinely ex- grow our compassion. And I've had lots of experience with this. It's based on the level of depth of suffering that we go through that we are able to open to the depth of suffering of others. In, in my experience, I've, I, <laughs> Rinpoche says this very humbly. He says, in my, ex- in my experience, you know, I had some sickness and a few obstacles here and there. And I thought it was a great time to practice. Um, and he says, when we're scot-free, when we're hanging out, chilling out, and it's all good, we don't bother to think about dharma. So it's only when these obstacles come that we really have a genuine opportunity to transform. And we call this practice um, integrating negative, integrating po- obstacles into the path. And another expression is making friends of, with our suffering. So when we make friends with the obstacles that we encounter, then they become our richest ally in our growth and transformation. And if we don't have the experience of suffering, then how, how can we genuinely expect to transform? So in my case, uh, I had a lot of problems with m- my right ankle. And I have to say that when, now, whenever I see anybody with any kind of foot disability or problem, any kind of problem with their legs, immediately there's this very deep sense of compassion and, and understanding and empathy. And it just comes effortlessly. I don't have to think about it. But it comes because I went through that myself. So I know it from the inside out. And then another piece in terms of dealing with our suffering is really applying the antidote of seeing with the eyes of emptiness. When we can genuinely investigate and say, say, what's really there? What's really the source of my problem? And break it down and deconstruct it. Then through that process of applying the antidote of, of seeing with the eyes of emptiness, we can clear out our suffering very well. Nazamanaji, 
So we are all the same in that we all have to face a lot of transitions and a lot of suffering in life. We're born, we're, we age, we get sick, we die. It's just a constant process of transformation and there's a lot of, of suffering in all of this. And we have all kinds of other problems that come in the mix. And but but Dharma can be so powerful in transforming us in times of crisis and in in breaking us free. And I have had two really powerful experiences with this in my own life. Uh, the first experience was when I was in prison in Tibet for three months, and the second experience was when I came to New York, came to the States, and landed in New York, and I was almost immediately in the hospital. And both opportunities really offered me a powerful uh, chance to to try dharma, to really integrate dharma, and to see how effective it really is. 
So in Tibet, when I was in prison for those three months, I have to say in the beginning, there was anxiety for me. There was fear that came up around that. But then I started to think about it. And I, I was perplexed at first. Of course, I had not broken the law. I had not done anything wrong. I was not being punished because of some sort of action I had taken that merited punishment. So naturally, I had to think, well, why is this happening? Then it must be, it must be karma. You know, and the thing about karma is that karma doesn't just disappear. Once we create the causes, they either ripen or we purify. So this was my karma ripening. So as I was going through this process with these torturers, I really just came to a realization that rather than resist this, I had to see that, that this wasn't arbitrary. It was coming for a reason. It was my karma. And I applied the thought, may the suffering of all these beings come upon me, of all beings everywhere. May I just purify it for them by going through this. And then I also thought about these torturers. And I thought, well, you know, what, what am I really facing here? I mean, they were very angry, very fierce. They were beating me. And I, I thought, what is this, really? And so then I started to contemplate the truth of emptiness and selflessness and the lack of self. And I thought, well, is this really who these people are? Not at all. Is this their true nature? Not at all. On the contrary, they're like completely intoxicated by their own afflictions. And these afflictions are arising from their misunderstanding of reality, their fundamental ignorance. And then I started to go deeper with this thought process and really contemplate the fact that the consequences of what they were doing were very, very serious for them, karmically. And I said, well, compared to what I'm going through now, this is nothing compared to what they are going to go through as a result of doing this. So it's amazing. And my mind just relaxed. The fear went away. The anxiety went away. The suffering went away. And what actually flooded in was a lot of compassion. And I kept, and then Rimshe mentioning it, I, I kept thinking about how this is, what they are doing is, it's like they are drunk. They have no agency in this process. So my point here is that thinking like this, applying these kinds of perspectives, it's incredibly helpful in transforming us in times of, of trouble and suffering. And it can be just very efficacious in freeing us. And so this is the process of making allies out of our suffering, this, this method that I'm teaching you. Dunga, 
So this, what I'm outlining here is the practice of Tonglen, or giving and taking. And what we do when we practice Tonglen is we imagine that we give away all of our happiness to others, and or we, you know, impart it upon them, and then we take on all of their suffering and all of their obstacles. Again, when I was faced with these tortures, <clears throat> my mind actually opened up to a place of, oh my gosh, bless these people. Because I got, I got really clear about the kinds of inexpressible horrors they were going to have to go through. And the more I got clear on that, the more I thought, okay, no, may that happen to me instead. May the consequences of their actions ripen on me instead. And to this day, they're always in my prayers, each of those people. Because I'm very clear they were acting from a place of not seeing reality for what it is. They had no agency over themselves. They were like drunk through their anger and their, uh, their other negative mind states. So, being in that place, they had no choice. <clears throat> and so I had to think, well, who's really suffering here, they or me? And secondly, I took stock of the fact that th- this is their livelihood, their bread and butter. Engaging this in this profession, if you will, is what they do for a living. So this is their livelihood. This is how they feed their family. So my point here is, when we actually take on this new perspective, this tonglen, or giving and taking perspective, perspective, <clears throat> it really helps us open our minds to an incredibly huge place. And from that place, we no longer experience suffering. It just is powerful in clearing away our suffering. (laughs) And <laughs> Sosu <laughs> Ngay 
So I really want to emphasize too that whenever we have problems, you know, for example, physical problems, it's really important not to focus on them because the more we get caught up in them, the more we make them bigger and bigger. If we focus on a headache or this or that or whatever the thing is going that is going on at that moment may be, we actually just grow it in our mind. On the contrary, what we should do is really focus on others who are in a much worse situation. And this is by way of relativizing our own problems because when we do that, it gives us an immense and immediate sense of freedom. We can see how, how much more challenged others are by comparison. So, for example, when I was in the hospital in New York, in one way I was very compromised. I didn't speak any English, and I had many diseases going on at once, and I didn't really know anybody, and I, I didn't have a network. So I was, in some sense, I, I started to feel kind of overwhelmed at first. But then I, I applied this antidote, and I thought, well, actually, I'm very lucky I have a whole team of people helping me, a whole team of nurses and doctors who bring me meals and tend to me. And what I did was really recall to mind the many, many times in Tibet and in India in particular, I had seen unspeakable horrors, people with very deformed bodies, people starving, people dying, people dying completely untended to. So when I thought about that, I realized actually, you know, it, it enabled me to keep my heart open to others in the midst of my own travails. And I, I mention this just to encourage you that no matter how bad it gets, just know always that there's somebody out there who's in an even more difficult situation. And when we do, when we think like that, we're able to first realize how much we do have going for ourselves, which helps us relax. And we also keep our hearts open to others. Anita <laughs> あ、ちこ、あ、ちゃまちやら、あの、テス、ドジスンバウトに、あの、ニャムラチな、ハラムレートでもんでちば、デクパダ、タラもんでちね、シュチェンボでね、あの、ニバチェンボでんだよれ。
So from a Buddhist perspective, we are really the composite of infinite, infinite lifetimes worth of actions of body, speech, and mind, which create a momentum in our mind stream and which drive us forward on, on this path through suffering. And so from this perspective, the way out, one of the fundamental pieces of getting out of this is to purify our karma. And working with the wonderful deity Vajrasattva is a very powerful way to purify karma. Now, of course, all Buddhas are expressions of complete enlightenment. None is better or more accomplished than the other. But in the case of Vajrasattva, on his, during his Bodhisattva journey, he made very powerful prayers that once enlightened, he would be able to support beings in particular through purifying, helping them to purify karma in a very speedy and expeditious way. So what I'd like to do here is, I know we, we don't have much time, but I'd like to walk you very, very briefly through a visualization of working with Vajrasattva. Uh, I certainly won't, don't have the time now to go through it in full detail, but I would like to just give you a, a brief introduction.
So the visualization is as follows. We imagine this incredibly beautiful Buddha who's white in color and with one head, one face, and two arms wrapped in gorgeous silks. And this Buddha is made of rainbow light. It's very important that we emph- that we really visualize this being as completely made of light. And he's seated upon a throne that's held up by snow lions. And he's seated upon a blossoming lotus and a moon disc cushion. And this beautiful Dorje, uh, excuse me, Vajrasattva deity, Dorje Samba in Tibetan, um, is seated above our head. And Amare. Is in front of us about an arm's length away at an angle, slightly above our head. And he's adorned with uh, the seed syllables, Om Ah Hung, at the crown, the throat, and the heart. So Om Ah and Hung, of the colors white, red, and blue. And around this Hung at the heart is the Vajrasattva, the, the Vajrasattva mantra, the short version, is circling around in a clockwise, clockwise fashion. And the mantra is Om Vajrasattva Hung. It's quite simple. And then what we imagine is that, so this, this is all happening in front of us, and we imagine light just pouring through the universe from the Hung at Vajrasattva's heart, and it goes out to all the enlightened wisdom beings across time and space who are known in the Buddhist tradition as the Buddhist, uh, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. And Vajrasattva is reaching out to them for their blessings, and they respond with great alacrity, and they shower him with blessings, which uh, melt back into his heart. And so now we see Vajrasattva blazing, incredibly powerful, made of this scintillating rainbow light. And then from Vajrasattva's heart, from his hung, pours down this very powerful purificatory white light into our crown. And as it dissolves through us, it washes us free of every last bit of negativity that we've generated through body, speech, and mind. And in particular, so we we imagine as it's going through our crown, all of our body, the power of the om at Vajrasattva's crown is purifying our body, and the power of his ah is purifying our speech, and the power of his hung is purifying our mind. And the, the very important part is just to see ourselves as completely pure at the end of this visualization. And so if we do this and ride this visualization or ride the mantra on this visualization, it's very powerful. So I'm going to recite the mantra a few times, and I would like to invite us all to do the visualization together and recite the mantra if we wish. Anita 
So and another piece of the visualization is that we imagine around us are all infinite sentient beings. And they all have their own Vajrasattva seated in front of them. So they're all going through the same purificatory process as us. And then uh, we imagine that as we close the meditation, we'll imagine Vajrasattva uh, melting into us, dissolving into us, and that we now become empowered with all of his incredible purifying qualities. So then what we'll do is I'm going to just recite the mantra three times and ask for you to just recite it back so that we kind of get in the hang of it. And then we'll go through it 25 times together, and then we'll bring the evening to a close.
So that was the long version of the Vajrasattva mantra that Rinpoche did. Yeah, it's a hundred syllables. So now he's just going to do the short version, which is Om Vajrasattva Hung, and he's going to recite it three times. And when you recite it back, you will have actually received the transmission. Then we can do it together a few times. Om Vajrasattva Hung. Om. Om. Banzra Sato Hum Om Banzra Sato Hum Om Banzra Sato Hum Oh, and we together. Om Banzra Sato Oh, 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 oh,
So I was hoping to leave some time for questions and answers, but I realize we've gone over, and uh, so I'll just bring it to a close now with the dedication prayers, and I really appreciate your patience. I know if any of you, I know we've gone over time, and if this is an interference, I really, again, I want to express my appreciation. I know everybody has a lot of responsibilities they're carrying. ニャムネチリ。あねてニャムネリンダルタイコンチュアナニチ、トンタニネシャワニ。あねタ、ホアマランチアレ。タンホアマランチナズソンロカンタンコスナ。あねタチ、あ、カシブジンドワマジナウカ
Zove sa Gigi con buono così. Tiene, sta preso, sono 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 pace. Ah, non ha niente niente. So in the last two hours we've done some very powerful practice together and as I mentioned before it's so important to finish the practice with the dedication. So what I what I'm encouraging us all to think right now is uh to really bring to mind the the motivation that all beings be free from suffering and all beings have full happiness. And in particular, I'd like us to think about the beings in the hell realms and the kinds of inexpressible sufferings they have to go through there. And then the beings, uh, the the sort of, the yida. Um, the yida. Mm. Why can't? Hungry ghosts. Thank you, Rinpoche. Amazing. Uh, the hungry ghosts. Um, the kind of hunger and thirst that they experience And then also in this human realm here, the kinds of sicknesses that people go through, particularly cancer, just unspeakable kinds of difficulties. And also the fact that many families, to bring to mind in particular the families who have been destroyed by war and conflict and many children who have been separated from their parents or been orphaned and so forth. So um, we think by the power of what we've done here together, may they all be free of all of these sufferings and may they quickly achieve full enlightenment. So Rumi is just closing by saying that you know what we've done together and doing these mantras together is incredibly powerful. And if we're just one person, that's very powerful. But when we dedicate it together with all of each other's merit, the the power we generate is redoubled many many times or many many fold. So just know this and you know, take stock of that and really relish this as I do the dedication prayers now.
Please accept my apologies for that. And I'd like to express my sincere gratitude to those who have hosted us here tonight and to this Sangha. Thank you so much for having us here. And just that we all rejoice in the very powerful momentum we've just created as a group here together tonight. Thank you.